0: Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group.
1: Welcome yet to another fabulous episode of the B2B Sales Trends, my dear people, the show, the podcast that brings you hacks, tips, tricks, thought leadership, for sales, marketing, and customer success. It's brought to you by us, Who Is Us, A global performance group, a revenue improvement boutique that implements behavior change to provide salespeople the competence of the skills, the confidence to execute those well, and the courage to sell and negotiate based on customer outcomes. My name is Harry Kendallbacher, and today I have with me Joseph Dressler. Joseph, welcome to this B2B Sales Trends Podcast.
0: Harry, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. And my God, if you went home every day and started every story to your family the same way, they would be riveted. They would listen to anything you'd have to say all day long. But I'm sure that's not what happens because we all have families that ignore us. So I'm excited to spend this time with you.
1: (laughs) Well, I was going to say I do exactly that same thing every evening. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it's all good. Joseph, thank you for joining us. As I mentioned, you are the VP of Sales uh, for the Americas for AdForm. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, AdForm as an organization as a form of introduction, if you could.
0: Yeah, sure. Real brief, right? No one wants a full resume by any stretch. Um, I've been in the Mm -hmm. New York ad tech space for almost 26 years now, I think. The gray hair kind of shows that off. I've gone through three or four recessions, which is always fun because I think as a seller, you learn the most in a recession, not in the boom. Because in a recession, you have to earn the business every single time. No one's handing it out. There are no fax machines that are rolling with new insertion orders coming your way every day. You have to call. You have to offer value. Um, So although they were painful from a financial perspective, I always learned more and more each one of those recessions I went through. In um, ad form, global ad server, DSP, SSP, DCO, DMP, all the classic ad tech stack. But the reason I came here is I love the transparency we bring forward, both in pricing and data. And I love the idea of having a full, set, a full tech stack that was built under one uniform platform. I think we can revolutionize where programmatic has been. And I think we are where it's going. And I'm, I'm excited to talk more about that, but certainly help other customers in that future.
1: You have a wealth of experience in the app tech space, tech sales, as you shared. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the key insights of how you leverage data and good sales skills of storytelling um, to impact the sales team's success in in these industries?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's interesting about selling, and Harry, I'm sure you've seen this throughout your career. As, as we've gotten more technology rich, as we've gotten more data rich, it's gone really from relationship building. I know these people, I'm friends with them, they trust me, and I can just move money around as a marketing director or an advertising director to really, to your point about data, more outcome-based, more performance-based. And when I say performance, that doesn't mean a cost per acquisition all the time by any stretch, but people are always measuring something because now the CMO has to justify their budget they have to justify their investment right up to the CFO and the CEO in that perspective. So, when I think through how we use data, right? Data is incredibly important. It's a four-letter word we've used for many times, probably even more so than our classic two letters of AI, right, which we hope not to talk about today. Today's all about sales, not about AI. Um, but I think about data in two different perspectives. One is post or during the campaign. What can we use that's in our platform that teaches our end client something new? They don't know everything about their business. They don't know everything about the microcosms and how campaigns are running. What can we bring the light to make them smarter? That could be something as simple as which campaigns or creatives are working well, or it could be more complex. and talks about micro segments that are behaving with a better ROAS or lifetime value. So that's just one good example. Harry, I'm happy to go deeper, but wanted to see if that was helpful.
1: Sure. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I understand you've... you've uh crafted and created quite a few go-to-market strategy for a new products um how how do you incorporate these data-driven insights and sort of uh, storytelling if you wish into those strategies to yeah. you know to engage potential clients and and, and drive additional yeah. revenue drive additional sales how that, share a few insights on on, on that if you could
0: yeah, absolutely. Harry. It's um, it's a very deep question. You put a lot of key parts into that, right? You've got go to market. You've got sales strategy. You've got penetration. You've got net new. Look, I think what's interesting is an old boss of mine uh, gave a line, or she used to share a line with me, that I probably only slightly appreciate. Almost like being a grown up, right? You don't appreciate everything your parents sold you until that or right. afterwards. But it, his story was a simple one, and he's like, "Look, our job as sellers is to put our clients in a movie, and that movie. If you think about any good show you've watched, Harry, it has an arc." Right, it doesn't. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. It has an arc. It has something that draws you in. And for us as sellers, that has to be really around pain. What is the pain the consumer is facing? The consumer, our, our end customer, people like that. What is the pain they're facing? And candidly, how do you make that pain worse? How do you step on the pain so they yell "ouch"? Right? They 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 can't take it anymore. It hurts so much. They have to solve it because you know this from all your experience, one of the worst is not worse. Sorry, I said it the wrong way. One of the key reasons sellers don't get a yes isn't because they lost it to somebody else. It's no decision. And so one of the greatest ways to get a decision is to showcase how hard it is. If you don't make a decision to solve your problem. Right. Right. And so I, I try to tie that. If I think about your go to market question, I try that. I try to tie that to the go to market strategy. What is the pain point in the marketplace that people need to solve Versus they talk, they're talking about solving, but don't actually care to. Right? Right. And a, a silly example is recycling here in New York City. It took many, many years for people to get to the point of recycling because it was too hard. People understood it was the right thing to do. But human nature tells us, I'm going to do what's easy for me, not what's right for me.
1: Yeah, right. right.
0: Right. And so I think about go-to-market strategies that same way. What is the market trying to solve for and needs to solve for? And how do I prove that? Harry, that last part ties to data. The proof has to be in the data. When you run this campaign with me, or when you buy my software, right? I'm going to show you these three reports that are going to extrapolate the success that you're having. If I can't bring those two things together, go to market strategy is just a bunch of pretty slides at that point.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting what what you said about um, you know that pain point. And we always talk about you know there's two reasons why people make decisions. Uh, it's either to avoid a risk or to gain an outcome, yeah. and, and and if you can hone into either of those pretty strongly through your campaign, then you have a case. Then you uh, you get people to make a decision, whatever the decision is. There's a there's a big stat out there that um, don't quote me exactly on the percentage, but uh, something around fifty percent of decisions end up. In no decisions or sales opportunity uh, that, that, sure. that's what it is 50 percent of sales opportunities end up in no decision yeah. right uh, now why is that because it's easier to stay put it's easier yeah. to stay in your status quo it's yeah. not very painful to do that so uh and i'm avoiding a risk through that so how yeah. uh the outcome the gain needs to be bigger yep yeah. And and so, how do I structure the strategy around that to, for people to see that and come to a decision that way? It's it's an interesting interesting take, absolutely. Right.
0: And I think where you're going leads to you know a thought process I have with go-to-market strategies with sellers is: are we asking the right discovery questions? Right. Right. And the example I always enjoy using, I and mean, anybody who's sold with me knows that we go through this together. Some of the first questions I'll ask a client have nothing to do with marketing or my specific product. I couldn't care less in the very beginning, right? Right. I want to know about the business. I want to know about their earnings and what their CEO and, and executive suite cares about, right? right? And if I and I'll, and I'll give you a great example uh, during the early days of COVID, right? We found out that aluminum here in the U.S. was running low. Well, all right. What does that have to do with digital advertising? Well, it has nothing to do with digital advertising except for I found out all of my can providers. Right. So for soda and tuna and anything that's canned, right, right. they were having inventory shortages, which meant they weren't going to market a product they couldn't keep on the shelf. Right. So who cares about talking about a marketing solution and how I can drive better efficiency for them? Of course, that those times were crazy in general, right. but I can't market a product that doesn't even exist. Right. 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 So I think about those discovery questions to figure out what does the company care about? What are they focused on trying to solve? And then how can I be smart enough to make that connection to a marketing decision?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, you know, these discovery questions, and we deal with a lot of different uh, sales forces and so forth. And, and and the problem I have with the, the I call it the same more boring questions that everybody else is asking. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, if somebody asks me a question and that question only confirms their assumption and quite honestly, the research that they should have done about me, yep. you know, that doesn't provide any sort of value to me. Yep. So how can you ask me a question to get me to think of something that I haven't thought of before? Yep. Uh, now, that's where the value is in uh, for me. And this is this is a very fundamentally very different way of looking at uh, how do we question our prospects and, and clients in a way.
0: It's pretty interesting. Harry I'll give you a funny line to think about that and I hope oh. this gentleman I hope this gentleman listens to this uh this podcast that we're doing cuz he'll smile knowing that I'm quoting him. Um but he gave me a famous line many many years ago and he goes, "So Harry, what's the question behind the question?" Sure, you want to know if my sweater is cashmere or something else. It's fine, but like why? Like why are you asking that question? What do you really care about? And I've used that directly on many calls before. To your point, when I get what I, what I consider to be a level one or a, a very basic question, I was like, well, if whatever the answer is, like, where the, how does that help you move forward? Like, let, let me understand that more. And then we can really dive in and have a little fun together. And, it, and it, it's great. You get the recoil a little bit, right? People come back and they're like, oh, there's some real thought that needs to happen. Right. right, And those are some of the best meetings we can all have because that's where the curiosity comes out. That's where the intellectual learning comes out. That's where the business problem solving comes out.
1: Right. And, and I really feel like, and 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 I love that, that anecdote, that people need to have a certain courage to do that nowadays. Yeah. You have to be a little bit daring to bring that sort of level, that sort of edge into the conversation. But that's then thought-provoking. That creates a little bit of, tension in a way that, that is enriching for both people to have that conversation. Nobody wants to have the same old rubbish. <laughs> no, no, I hope
0: not. I hope right. not. And and um, you bring up and you bring up a point Harry, which I think is critical as we consider sales, right? We've all had A plus sellers, we've all had A sellers, we've had B plus C, right? You can go all the way down. Yep. And yep. consistently, you know, one of the traits I find that ties to what you're saying is not only curiosity, mm. right? Curiosity is incredibly important. It's one of my favorite terms to use, right? You want to ask good questions that makes the conversation more engaging. But you you have to toe the line carefully. And this is where a great seller comes into play. They can't be afraid of what the answer is going to be, right? So I can't ask you a curious question that opens the door to a room and then be really scared to walk into that room. I have Mm -hmm. to know that that almost like a choose your own adventure, which is one of my favorite lines in sales, right? A question I'm going to ask is going to be so open-ended, but directional. I know what I'm doing because I know the three answers they're going to give me and I'm ready to go down any one of those three paths, right? right. right? It, it empowers the brand. It empowers the other the, the person on the other side to feel like they're in control of the conversation, which is great. I want them to, but I'm prepared for where they're going to go and how I tie that back to value proposition. Right.
1: And what you've it really resonates with me because that directional part that you have just shared, I think, I think it's one of the big mistakes that salespeople make nowadays. Um, they ask questions for the sake of questioning. They go in and think, oh, what are the three questions I need to ask this person? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you need to have uh, you need to lead with direction here. And before you can even think about the question, think about the need that you want to develop in the mind of the prospect. So it's not about finding out needs, that's low level, it's yes, really yeah. about how do you generate new needs in the mind of the buyer and therefore you have to give a certain direction for that you need to ask tough questions, thought yeah. provoking questions that generate that need, that gives that direction you have referred to, Yeah. I'm really passionate about this. and. Uh, And it's interesting when you know this and when you live that stuff,
0: you can spot something, somebody who doesn't do that from a mile, right? No. I mean, Harry, how many times have you been in calls with obviously people who have reported into you throughout your career and you know they're asking the right questions, but they're asking them just to ask it to your point and you you see them go, Harry, what's your favorite food? It's pizza. Great. Harry, what'd you do yesterday? I went out with my wife or whatever, right? And then what are you going to do over the weekend? I'm going to watch some soccer. All right, cool. Well, I asked you the questions. I got the answers. Harry, it was great meeting you. I hope that we could uh, catch up next week. Yeah, great. You're <laughs> right. like, okay, what, all right, did, you learned facts, but you didn't learn insights there. Facts right. and insights are two very different things.
1: Right. Exactly. And uh, and in this day and age, the reality is with social media and everything around it, you can find out pretty much everything from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so who cares if I watch soccer or basketball that weekend right i mean you should know quite honestly but anyway um cool cool discussion and 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 on that topic it sounds like that um you know there is a real importance for you to sort of you know train and mentor your sales teams and sales teams current and in the past can you elaborate a little bit how you train your teams and uh, you know to connect with clients to close deals and to progress opportunities share your thoughts on on the training front of things
0: yeah i, th- I think this is the, one of the hardest parts i've seen certainly in my industry and probably in others too which is how does a manager at every, in any level it doesn't matter what, what level you're at because you're always managing somebody How do, how do you handle the work you need to do on a daily basis mm. and tie that to how you make your team better and you're like, Joe, you're like, Joe, what does that, t- what has, how does that connect here to, to your mentoring and what you do? Well, I, I believe in the long game for many things in my life, whether it was, whether that was personal and relationships, whether that's business, whether that's investing, mm-hmm. right. right? Like Vanguard index funds are phenomenal in investments. If you have a three, five, 10, 15 year horizon, right? They're not, if you're trying to make money today versus tomorrow, they're just simply not. And so the reason I tie that example together is I'm always willing to face more pain, which is sacrificing my own time in the short term, to get people in a better spot so they can run faster in the long term. And so what does that mean? I'll join more calls with them. I'll sit and I'll take the notes so they can be free to really engage in a client. But when I take the notes, obviously, I'm taking notes on what the client said. I'm talking about next steps. But I always have a section on the bottom that talks about how did the call go? not the content of the call. How was our presentation? How was our conversation with the client? Did we talk too much? Did we not ask enough questions? Did we not dive deeper into the questions? Was it not organized? Were we over here and then over there and over there? And so I'll spend a lot of time with people almost as a teacher. I'm an old, an old uh, uh, coworker of mine used to call me Professor Dressler because in, in the days of being in offices, I would love to be on a whiteboard and sketch things out and kind of visually show how does something work? right? I'm not a product guy. I haven't built product. I'm not building code, but I can explain it visually about how the mentality of what we do helps the bigger picture.
1: Right.
0: So the simple answer to your question is I lean probably too far in, if I really were to, to grade myself, I probably lean too far into making sure I'm helping people get smarter and better. And then right. also using that as a mindset as to where do I see their top level growth being and how do I position them to take advantage of their skills and try to minimize their weaknesses in the same scenario? Because you can't make everybody an A seller. And I can't make everybody good at prospecting and closing and negotiating. Those are three very different skills. Yeah. You're likely not to be an A in all three of those.
1: Right, right, right. Interesting, very interesting. Well, uh, you know? Obviously, sales and marketing play a key role. How do you <laughs> what sort of? How do you see the two playing together, especially in – making B2B sellers successful, how do you see marketing and sales collaborating effectively through
0: this? Well, I love that question because it reminds me of almost, I'm an only child, so I, I'm only using this from what I've seen in movies and friends and things like that, but I feel like marketing and sales are brothers and sisters. Right? You go through phases in your life where all you want to do is kill the other one. They, they drive you crazy in every week of asking, Right? Right. And then there are times where you're like, they're my best friend. I couldn't live without them. I couldn't think about my life without them. They're everything to me. Mm. Right? And I know it sounds trivial, but that's, that's a lot of the ways that I see it. Meaning, and I'll, and I'll be stereotypical about my own life, not here at AdForm, but just in general. Right? Marketers are beautiful people. They come up with amazing stories. But the reality is most marketers don't talk to clients and then hear the feedback of, how does that phrase actually sound to the end person? Does it Mm -hmm. resonate? Did it make sense? Did it come through? Um, One of the other challenges I always bring up when you're actually in market with clients is Harry, you're, you're, you yourself. I am too, right? You're in a competitive space. You're not the only one in the marketplace that does what you do, right? If I were to hear your pitch and I close my eyes, I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at a deck. I'm just listening. How do you sound versus everybody else who's walked through my doors and pitched their and pitched their scenario? Right. Right? Are you using the same buzzwords everybody else is using? Are you using the same slides that talks about the same problem as everybody else? Right. Right? Are you simple? Or have you gotten down to our earlier part of the conversation, which is, can I dissect into what a client really needs to solve for? And has marketing helped me grasp and tell that story? So the best relationships I've ever had is where my product marketing team is on calls with me, not to hear my feedback, but to hear the client's feedback. And Harry, it's phenomenal because nine times out of 10, it's not 10 out of 10, nothing's ever 10 out of 10, you know that, right? But nine times out of 10, I'll get off a call. My first question to my product marketing team. So what'd you think? Wow. I I can't believe how the client heard that perception of what we do. Right. 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 I can't believe they asked this other question. I thought we talked about it. No, we didn't. We didn't talk about it in a way that was satisfactory to them. Yeah. Right. And I'll do that by running through the call the way my product marketing team wants me to do, knowing I can always correct it in the future. Like I'll never sacrifice a client, of course, but I'll do it the way I'm being guided to do versus the way I want to do it. And then the next meeting, I'll do it the way I want to do it, even with the same slides, right? The same paperwork, whatever it is that we're showcasing or using. And I'll be like, that's the difference. And that's the help I'm asking for here. How do we bring the client's mindset to mind to how how and what we're solving? Right. And then we're we're best friends, Harry. We're absolute best friends. Love it. It's
1: great. Great. Our listeners will appreciate that. (laughs) No, absolutely. What what trends do you foresee shaping the future of edtech, uh, especially when you think about, you know, how these trends will impact B2B sellers who, you know, rely so much on technologies for their sales effort and strategies and so forth. Yeah. What does the future hold for ad
0: tech? The future. I mean, the future of sales or the future of ad tech? Which one do you want to go down?
1: Well, the future of ad tech within, and, and how does it impact sales?
0: Sales. So, yeah, I probably have a slightly different opinion than many other people. Um, look, AI and technology is phenomenal there. I said it. Everybody's happy, right? We threw those in. We got the buzzword in. We're done. We can check it off. I think it's miserable in the same scenario. So, if you think about what we all went through a few years ago with the pandemic, and how that's changed the office environment, and how that's changed even in person. Even here in New York, you know, many companies are back two days a week, maybe three. It's still hard to get face-to-face meetings, which means we're so electronically focused. This is one style, right—the yep. classic yep. Zoom, Teams meeting, etc. Yep. Um, but many, many people, obviously in sales, we're all subjected to it. Are sending out emails, right? We're using LinkedIn, right? We're using anything we can to get across. Well, Harry, what's happening in email, right? Undeliverable. Spam filters, junk, yeah. because people are using it too much. Right, right. Is it really wonderful that companies are sending out ten thousand emails a day? Is that really something we should pat our back on the uh, pat ourselves on the back for and be like, look how great it is? I I sent out ten thousand emails and I got a, I got five responses. Look, I got five responses. This is great. Mm-hmm. You got five out of ten thousand. What is that doing? The trend I'd love to see. Is almost like we have a credit rating score, at least in the US. I don't know how it is in Europe, right? We have an individual credit rating score of how our finances are, yep. right? Whether a bank wants to lend money to me, whether a credit card wants to give me credit limits. I'd love to see an email deliver, deliverability score that's personal. Love it.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Right? I want to know my score and I want to then know, just like you do with your credit, oh, your credit balance on your credit card is too, is too high. That's why your credit score is going down. You missed some payments over here. That's why your credit's going down. I'd love yeah. to know. My score zero to hundred is you know fifty three. I don't think it is. I think it'd be much higher because I don't use any of those tools. I try to personalize everything, right. but I'd love to know what it is and then have the oh, if you stop doing this, I send too many links in my emails. I've sent the same person the same email four times. Whatever it is, doesn't matter, right? I'd love to know what that is so we can all get better and smarter, right? Right? right. Because when you're when you're on the client side, what's one of the things a client will always tell you? Yeah, Harry, I missed your email totally missed your email. You want to know why? I get a thousand of them. I don't, I have such a hard time looking at my email, junk folders, everything else. I don't know what to read anymore. Right. Right. Right? right. Let's lower, let's lower the volume of email dramatically, but make them effective. Let's put Mm -hmm. the onus back on sellers to tell a real narrative of who I am and what I think I can do for you. That's Mm -hmm. thought provoking enough that leads to an actual meeting
1: simple down to the point what's the problems that we solve here's how we do it let's go right yeah, um, yeah. i couldn't agree more with you uh, more customized more direct a little less bs right yeah
0: absolutely right we all get the emails i'm going to call out the industry for being ridiculous we all get those last emails whether it's the fourth fifth sixth one in the cycle that are like Clearly you don't like me. Dumpster fire, some stupid picture, right. right? Just tell me you're not interested. I'm happy not to talk to you. Like that's what it takes to get a response. And it's, it's sad that it does sometimes, yeah. right? But I was like, I, I refuse. I refuse yeah. to respond to those things. They're childish. Right. They're not effective.
1: Absolutely. And you can wait it out, right? You can wait the, the two weeks when you get a dump load of emails from that particular company, whatever it is. And then two weeks after, break. For yeah. a month or so, and then it starts over again. Right? Yeah. You can yeah. watch this. It's not funny to to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, completely agree. Uh, final question, Joseph. If we, if if I may, um, super experienced uh, you are. You've been there, done that. Uh, very knowledgeable in what you do. You've seen some great salespeople. You've seen, if I may, that use the term rubbish salespeople. <laughs> um, tell me what are the top three skills or behaviors that the top salespeople have used to make them top
0: salespeople? It's a very good question because obviously there are commonality skills that are really important, but it's also interesting to see how people can, can use their personality strengths to overcome some of the weaknesses. But if I was creating a robot, if I was creating a perfect person in that scenario from the seller perspective, I'd probably go with... These two, if not three. So the first one, of course, is curiosity. Right. Right. Any good seller is curious about their client's business. That's how you're going to get undiscovered needs to be brought up. Right. It's how you're going to learn more about not just the wants, but the desires and how it affects their boss and their boss's boss. Right. Right. Curiosity is so important. And again, that goes with the strength and confidence to know if I ask a curious question, I'd better be willing to open that door and walk down the curious path, right? So I think that's one. Number two, I'm going to tie it back to how you started this podcast. Not only your energy and enthusiasm, but the ability to tell a story. People gravitate to stories, right? They want a beginning, a middle, and the end. They need an arc. They need a lean-in moment. Oh, my God, tell me more. Don't stop the story right now, right? They need that. And the ability for people not to present slides slowly and methodically, so I'm telling you slide by slide what's happening, but to change the narrative and to showcase why you're excited about something and why you're less excited about right. something else. Right? Exactly. And then the third one I would say is, look, we are small business owners, and a small business owner must be responsible for finances. So I don't need you to be a financial expert, but I need you to be professional about how you're forecasting. I need you to understand why forecasts are important and how to rate each one of your opportunities appropriately. If I have a close date in a week, but it's an early stage opportunity, clearly something's wrong in that scenario, Exactly. right? Which one is it? I don't know. I have to ask you as the seller, which one it is. Maybe the close date's accurate and you're misforecasting the probability or the probability is right. And you're way too optimistic on the close date because we're not going to close next week when we're only at stage 10 right now or 10% stage. Right. So if I were to build a perfect seller, curiosity, storytelling and financial forecasting, however you want to kind of paraphrase the last part, but that would be for me a perfect seller.
1: I love it. Joseph, thank you so much. You've been a fabulous uh, guest. Thank you for your insights. I know your uh, our listeners on the podcast will really appreciate uh, the input you have provided. Thank you. Uh, my dear listeners, curiosity, tell a story, and professional forecasting are your takeaways from uh, that podcast. Thank you, everybody, for turning uh, or tuning in again, shall I say. Until the next episode, be brave, be courageous, and happy selling. Look after yourself. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, bro.